Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. As usual, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us today will be Dr. Raul Enad. He is an internal medicine physician who of late, the last several years, has also been becoming certified in functional and integrative medicine. He's going to tell us what the heck those things are because we're hearing those terms a lot more. It, it's something that I've become more and more exposed to because I have so many patients that I share with integrative medicine physicians. That's that's how they're called up here. I think Raul prefers the functional medicine um, moniker, so to speak. But this whole idea of, you know, as the Duke website, Duke University says, it addresses the full range of physical, emotional, mental, social, and spiritual, as well as environmental influences that affect a person's health. Kind of this movement of looking at a person more holistically, rather than your blood pressure is too high, you know, which I think it, it's easy to be myopic on some some disease processes. Which is something I even heard in the last part of the 80s in medical school, they talked about the biopsychosocial approach. But I think... Um my impression is that functional integrated medicine is uh, is putting more granularity to this, more detail to that bigger picture. Well, it's it's definitely, in in my opinion, it's gotten pretty technical. Uh, some of the lab tests I see of things like micronutrients and other kind of what what I would have thought as kind of alternative um, evaluating techniques, they're things that I didn't learn in medical school. That's for sure. I don't know about you, Tom. Uh, no, I didn't. But even in my residency, I had patients asking me about this and I was open-minded, but I wanted to see evidence because if yes. it works, it's going to show up in studies. You're not just going to feel better. You're actually going to be better. Um, well, and what you're kind of hinting at there too, is you've got to overcome the placebo effect, right? Ah, uh, the placebo. Yes. Uh, and the placebo effect you know, you led me to some websites and one of the summary things that I learned about the placebo effect, it's real, particularly for things like pain, but it was not effective for things which you can objectively measure because pain is subjective. Only the subject knows it, but objective things like, you know, people feeling better with their asthma, with their airways, uh, but yet the airflow was no different when measured objectively. Yeah, the, the placebo effect has no role in the treatment of blood pressure. You know, when when you're looking at the numbers that you have to write down on a paper, uh, it knows whether it's high or low, even though you might feel something different. But the placebo effect is this effect that doing anything, the the patient will perceive themselves as doing something positive and feeling better. And I've always tried to find a good percentage as, as far as how how big of an effect the placebo effect is. The studies say somewhere between 15 and 75%. I've always heard about 35, 40% that if a treatment that's prescribed, a patient doesn't feel at least half better, that's probably no better than placebo. Right. So placebo actually does work. There are effects on the body uh, through the immune system and through the neurologic system. And in fact, there's uh, an area of study called psychoneuroimmunology now, and it, you know a number of different systems integrate, and that's not surprising the way God made us. And by the way, the, the word placebo literally means in Latin, I shall please. In other words, it, I guess it referred to things doctors gave way back when that I'm going to please the patient. Here you go. <laughs> and they've shown that by a doctor giving them something, even if it was just sawdust, the patient would feel better and certain symptoms would get better versus if the doctor did nothing for them. So well, the placebo Yeah, you you had kind of alluded to that study about asthma where patients either got an inhaler, a real medical inhaler, a blank inhaler, a sham un uneffective acupuncture or no intervention. And every single person in the study felt better after they received something. Uh, but when it came down to measuring the, the flow of the air in their lungs, only the albuterol inhaler actually made a difference. Right. So there are certain types of things the placebo effect works well for um, and other things not as well for. I want to mention a website uh, before yeah. I forget. Uh, the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health is actually one of the National Institutes of Health websites at www 
nccih.nih.gov. It's a good tool for researching uh, something that might be a new therapy to you uh, that you're considering. And, you know, I think kind of setting the stage with the idea of the placebo effect, that's one of the things that we want to talk to Dr. Enot about is where's the data for some of this stuff? How did he kind of come on to it? And, you know, what role do supplements have? I know that's one of the big things that I see coming from functional medicine physicians is a lot of vitamins and supplements and minerals. And how do we judge that if they're not regulated by the FDA? And that's the key point. They are not regulated. So when you get something off a shelf, you cannot have confidence that what it says on the bottle is in the bottle. And yet people widely put their trust in these supplements. And I see this as different than the way many people approach vaccines, which have a lot of track record for saving millions of lives around the world and people not trusting vaccines with a scientific background and you know what's in there. Whereas with the vitamins, minerals and supplements, we don't know exactly what's in there. Yeah. You, you usually hear things about big pharma and uh, you know, the kickbacks and making money. I'm still waiting for my big kickbacks. Hopefully someday. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we but don't any. There, there's such a, there's such a distrust towards big pharma because the fact they make money supplement makers really do quite well, but they don't have that extra burden of proof to the FDA. And so I've, I've definitely had a lot of patients where they, they might take 37 supplements, but they don't want to take one antihypertensive for their blood pressure. Which has evidence. And, and an example of this on the bad side, there was a weight loss drug, an appetite suppressant called ephedra on the market in the 90s and early 2000s. And it was discovered that it was causing a number of hospitalizations and deaths. And because it was unregulated, like all supplements, it took eight years to get it off the market in very expensive lawsuits. See, yeah. And they, the, the quote that I saw from that article that stuck out is they said it made regulating tobacco look easy when you try and regulate supplements because the government has put the trust in the people who are selling the product to prove that it's safe. There's no oversight that I'm not sure of anything else in, in government that works like that, where we're just trusting the people who sell the products. But yeah, that would be like making the tobacco companies responsible for telling us that cigarettes are safe. Yeah, you guys just be in charge of that. Well, our <laughs> medical trivia question of the day, not surprisingly, is on dietary supplements. Easy question. Worldwide, what is the most commonly deficient dietary supplement people need? In fact, insufficient levels of this supplement are present in over 2 billion people in the world, not million, two billion people. We'll be back with more Dr. Doctor and our special break right after the guest. No, our special guest right after the break. Welcome to our guest interview tonight with Dr. Raul Inad. He's an internist who is also an integrative medicine doctor. He graduated from Cebu Institute of Medicine on the island of Cebu in the Philippines and then did an internal medicine residency at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island at Roger Williams Medical Center. He's not only board certified in internal medicine, but through the American Board of Clinical Lipidology, he's board certified. And through the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, he's a fellow in moral forms of stem cell therapy and a fellow in functional medicine. He's also been certified in healthcare ethics at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, He's currently a hospitalist at Franciscan Hospital in Michigan City, Indiana, way in the northwest of uh, Indiana, the part near Lake Michigan. He's married to a lovely woman from Spain, blessed with three young girls. He likes playing classical piano music and writing songs. Raul Inad, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you. Good, uh, good evening, I guess. <laughs> Raul, we have found multiple definitions online for this this creature uh, known as integrative medicine. What is the best definition you know of for what integrative medicine is? Sure. It, it is really hard to tackle about uh, the definition because it overlaps. Integrative medicine and functional medicine overlaps. I, um, I can sell myself as a, as a fellow of functional medicine. And it is, we take pride in diving into the, the cause of the disease before it happens, or even during when it happens. And we try to uh, achieve a, a form of a wellness state of, uh, of health. And also um, 
in a loose definition, we also promote uh, what you call anti-aging because we, we base our, our medicine in a system by a systems biology, a systems a harmony of the systems of, of system, digestive, uh, pulmonary system, and all uh, the immunological system. So it, uh, it dives into the mitochondrial cell level of, uh, and that's pretty much what functional medicine does. Integrative medicine encompasses the other disciplines like the uh, yoga, uh, other Eastern medicine, which uh, we sometimes use, but not much compared to, uh, to what we use in functional medicine. So functional is bigger than integrative. Okay, and we'll, we'll unpack some of that. And how is this different from what you would consider your traditional MD and DO physicians and their yeah. training and their approach? Well, MD, I'm still proud of being an MD physician and also uh, what we call the mainstream medicine. But the, the problem is, I can say that I also, as I have a victim of the shortcomings of the, internal me of the, the uh, mainstream medicine, the disease process uh, in medicine, especially internal medicine, diagnose the disease right there and also the chronic disease. But we stop there usually. We don't go back on why this disease happened. And then looking back from my personal uh, story that I can share with you, then I look back, this could have been prevented if this was discovered or this was tuned up. And I'm talking about uh, different systems like the hormone balance, the uh, autonomic nervous system especially, which affects the, the core of the, the system function, which is the mitochondria. Raul, I graduated from medical school not that long ago, and I didn't hear a whole lot about functional medicine. When did this come onto the scene, and how come there, a lot of us feel like, where did this come from? Well, I, I, uh, Andrew, I, I take that uh, as, a, uh, as a compliment because you're relatively young compared to me. <laughs> I was also struggling in that way back when. And uh, I remember going into the interest of, uh, at first it was, it was labeled as uh, alternative medicine. Yes. And uh, then it became uh, complementary medicine. If you look into the... Uh, oh, yes. It was all there. And if, in fact, the government was involved, uh, there was a budget for uh, an office of uh, alternative medicine, and it became bigger to become a alternate, uh, uh, complementary and alternative medicine. And that was in the 90s. And then fast forward in the 20th century, uh, 21st century, really, then uh, the practitioners became more aware of, we need to have a discipline. We need to, to make this acceptable to the mainstream medicine by, accept, by doing some more research. And uh, then became the, uh, the science that's being adopted by, by elite athletes uh, to help them do the, uh, become well, uh, uh, well in their health and also to become very competitive. And from my experience that I had also, you know, we all have stress. This stress becomes chronic and this, becomes, uh, this will result to chronic diseases. So uh, all these things becomes... Uh, uh, unite and becomes uh, uh, can be explained that the disease process really comes from something preventable and deep dives into the cellular level of the disease called the mitochondria. So something just hit me, and maybe there's a link here. Maybe this is part of it, and that is in psychiatry. When we were in medical school, psychiatry was always focused on abnormal psych psychiatry or abnormal psychology, and now there's this movement, this wellness, this happiness. Uh, psychology is what makes people fulfilled instead of how do we tackle problems when they're when they're there is is this part of it is this related to it at all Raul yes I think uh, the, the field of psychiatry really benefited from these uh, from this uh, adapting to the functional approach because uh, many of the psychiatrists that I uh, respect don't even want to use uh, psychiatric medicines like uh, benzodiazepines or SSRI, because we know for the fact that many diseases, especially uh, anxiety and depression, can be treated with natural solutions like exercise, meditation, and food, or avoiding inflammatory food, because they, they, they now know, and they have uh, some uh, uh, good evidence, uh, basic science like neurophysiology, 
that explains, for example, exercise really helps in increasing the neurotransmitter. The happy neurotransmitters like serotonin, and uh, they have also uh, discovered that their dendrites, the the process of arborization and the uh, pruning of the brain during stress, and when you exercise and you meditate and you do sauna, this can help, and also with fasting. So all these things actually are are very important, and to me, it's all imperative. In the last 20 seconds, you just nailed a bunch of episodes we've had in the past. Intermittent fasting, we've talked about sauna. Kevin Majors, our our most listened to uh, guest uh, that we've had on for some of these issues. It all makes sense. And in fact, one book he recommended, which I found out last week, my daughter, who's a freshman at Hillsdale College, they're using in their wellness class. It's called Spark. Are you familiar with John Rady's book, Spark? Absolutely. I'm reading it right now. (laughs) <laughs> so we would recommend that to listeners. Kevin Majors recommended it. I have it. My daughter has. I had to buy it at her bookstore for her two weeks yeah. ago. And it talks about a lot of the things you're mentioning. So Absolutely. you have me fascinated by, you mentioned several times, mitochondria. Yeah. Tell the listeners what the mitochondrium is or mitochondria are and how you can approach that medically. Well, the mitochondria essentially is the, 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 the organo inside the cell that produces ATP, as we know, ATP is energy. But we, we, we know that in the process of ATP, going back to our basic medicine and, and biochemistry that we usually ignore and memorize the citric acid cycle, <laughs> we call that. The only thing that really stuck in your mind is ATP and there, what is, how is ATP? Yeah, that's the spark. <laughs> so the, uh, the ATP is produced by a number of many different processes and is dependent on many micronutrients and minerals. For example, magnesium, for example, is I never took magnesium before until I got my own tachycardia of 220 from stress. And uh, little did I know that it was all related to cortisol and uh, deprivation of magnesium that we know in main medicine, mainstream medicine, that magnesium uh, is, a, uh, is a good low magnesium, is about the same as a, a uh, low potassium, which is a arrhythmogenic state. Causes so, irregular heartbeats. Exactly. It's a regular heartbeat. So that also ties in to the process of uh, f- regulating your autonomic nervous system. We, uh, we always see this in Google saying uh, sympathetic overtone or sympathetic overcharge, where we are, we are all sympathetically overcharged because we have, we listen to a lot of noise and we listen to, there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of stress that we cannot even know how to handle. So that goes back to the science that you're on, on. You have to have a balance of autonomic nervous system because that also affects your uh, hormone uh, or uh, the hormone balance. And the and autonomic is- nervous system for our listeners, we're really talking about an overload of adrenaline, uh, otherwise known as epinephrine and, and norepinephrine. Right, right. That's good. So uh, going back again to the mitochondria, if your mitochondria is not functioning well because your uh, sympathetic is overcharged and you're, you're essentially deprived of micronutrients because you're not digesting it or you're not eating well, uh, it, it, it dies. And the most important thing that we can do is to prevent the death of mitochondria and also to help them uh, regenerate with the biogenesis of mitochondria, where there are so many things that can do that, meditation, uh, sauna, hit or high interval intensity training can, it's been proven to produce biogenesis of mitochondria. That's why athletes, uh, they exercise well, they eat well, and so they perform well. And that should also equate to us as, as ordinary citizens that we are also stressed and we need to have a good function in our body. Raul, how did you get interested in all this? Did, did this start in medical school or is this something you came on to later in your career? Yeah, I thought, I thought I'd confess this to you, Andrew, in one of the conferences. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, way back, about maybe three years ago, I, I thought I was very healthy because I was exercising every day. I, was, I thought I was eating well, uh, eating some kind of a Mediterranean diet. But then suddenly I've, there was this uh, moment that I had this uh, tachycardia that I was in denial I would feel the palpitations, the bobbing of the head, and little did I know that I had developed SVT. And uh, the, the, uh, I documented it in, well, while making rounds, actually, in the hospital. 
Why don't you tell our listeners what SVT means? Oh, yeah. It's a, it stands for supraventricular tachycardia. Imagine your heart rate going up to 220, 220. So you feel the heart popping, pumping out as if like your heart is about ready to explode. Well, make long story short, I think it came from a, I could have this, this abnormal uh, circuitry in, uh, in my heart, but it would, be, it would remain silent only if, if I keep my autonomic nervous system really stable. Well, sleep deprivation as a hospitalist being, uh, being put on call seven nights in a row for two years, and then, some, uh, and then followed by 36 hours of working, well, that's enough to, to crush your, uh, your, uh, uh, to crush your uh, testosterone, to incre increase your uh, endorphins, uh, to make your autonomic nervous system in the sympathetic mode. So I was in, the, in an uh, arrhythmogenic kind of uh, setup. So because of that, I searched because naturally, if I am in the hospitalist, then I would be starting some beta blockers. I would have an ablation. But then my, I, at the time, I, I befriended some people who are functional, doing functional medicine. And I started looking into it. And really what really helped me was checking my, uh, my autonomic nervous system with uh, a gadget called HRV or heart rate variability. There's so many gadgets that the elite athletes use. And I was doing meditation and really doing meditation every day, in fact, twice a day sometimes. And I incorporated it in my prayer. And I make sure that my micronutrients, my micronutrients are doing well. I make sure that the uh, hormones are balanced, including my testosterone and all those stuff. Ra Raul, before going on, you've mentioned meditation a few times. Yeah. And we talked to Kevin Majors about this. Now, when you're using the term meditation, are you using it s similar to just being aware of the present moment, being quiet, or are you using it in terms of a discursive method of mental prayer? So uh, there's two aspects of meditation, and I, I dug it up in the literature. One is guided breathing. You have to have a rhythm of guided yes. breathing. Kevin Majors talked about that with, excuse me, breathing for four for yes. counts. In. Yes. And then you have to have a mental focus. Well, I don't want to dry it up, uh, touch into the other types of meditation because I only focus on my Christian meditation. So what right. I do is to fill my mind with Christ, to fill the Christ. And I, uh, and I think the most, uh, most uh, powerful imagery is the, uh, the passion of Christ, like the agony in the garden, the image of the uh, crowning of thorns. You put that in your mind and you focus on that one. Now, you, don't, you cannot be distracted. If your mind, if there's an intrusion like music or, for, or thoughts in the future or thoughts from the past, then you need to put it back in moment, uh, mindfulness, the right there in that moment that you need to just think about that. So together with a guided breathing, it has been proven to really change the blood flow to the hippocampus and less to the amygdala and to the anterior prefrontal cortex. That these are key parts of the brain that do what? These we are the key parts of the brain that are, that are the happy area of the brain that if, and the memory that if you, if, you, uh, if you nourish this part of the brain, your memory improves. And if you follow them by uh, MRI, functional MRI, and longitudinally, the hippocampus actually increase in volume. And mind That's you- memory. Yeah, so the, mind you, the, the screening for dementia is a functional, I uh, know, actually is a cross-sectional uh, cuts of the hippocampus, which is the seat of memory. So, um, Many things happen when you meditate, your neurotransmitters, your happy neurotransmitters like the serotonin, which increases when you take those antidepressant pills like Prozac, Lexapro, and all those stuff. Your GABA increases, which calms the brain. Melatonin increases, which makes you sleep and also is a super antioxidant. So these are terms that really comes up. And uh, in, a, in, a, in essence, if you just put a the, uh, uh, the, all the, the neurotransmitter effect in meditation in one pill, it would be a blockbuster drug. It's like all everything's in there to make you happy and healthy. So meditation, then you mentioned micronutrients. Yeah. Well, well uh, tell us about micronutrients because that's something that I guess your standard mainstream uh, physician doesn't really pay any attention to for the most part. Is that fair to say? 
it, it is fair to say because I was there before the, uh, three years ago. I was just paying attention about the calories and we talk about carbohydrates, protein, fats, and we stop there. Then we count the calories all over again, but we never paid attention about micronutrients. We're talking about vitamins, uh, minerals. For example, uh, to have a good immune function, for example, one of these tests would be to, to, uh, to uh, incubate the lymphocytes. And at the mitochondrial level, you look into the, what, the quantity. They're able to quantitate the micronutrients. So imagine these are the fuels that, need, the fuels that, needs, that is needed in the mitochondria to make the mitochondria healthy. So without these things, it's almost like you're immunodepressed if your lymphocytes are kind of uh, sleepy because of lack of micronutrients. You're starving your mitochondria of all these micronutrients needing to function and to produce ATP. So um, there are tests, it's a novel test, it's expensive, but it can be covered by insurance. So this is hot off the press, it's a novel test. Raul, I guess one of the things that occurs to me is with the different groups of folks that we know listen to the show, one of the groups is the medical professionals, folks in medical school who, who's never heard of micronutrients, they think they're gonna fail their next test. Um, <laughs> how, should they, how should they address this want to learn more? Is this something that, you know, do you feel like it's gaining steam in mainstream medicine? I, I know personally, I have patients requesting the testing, and I feel like I don't know where to start. And if I had it, I don't know what I would do. First thing really is to test yourself, because then you'll be surprised how healthy you are. I'm just kidding. Because really, <laughs> myself, I said, I, I should be, I should be, I should have a, enough vitamin D. But because we're always inside the building, my vitamin D was, was very low, and you know vitamin D is very important in immune function. And things have changed in terms of the concept of vitamin D. We thought it was just for vitamin D associated with the bone. No, uh, vitamin D is needed for the, ups, uh, the process of opsonization, which is essentially making the, the virus or the bacteria to be slimy and easy to, 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 uh, to catch by the macrophage. So in essence, if you have vi low vitamin D, and I see that a lot with many COVID patients, the vitamin D is very low. So it's a state of immunodeficiency if you translate it that way. And I really believe that vitamin D should be out there together with a CBC and CMP and whatever. It should be as part of the standard test. Have, Raul, have you, in going through this kind of journey on your own, have you felt different in addressing micronutrients and things for yourself kind of as a testimonial? Absolutely. Because if I see, for example, a high, very high functioning individual, uh, a doctor, a lawyer, or a priest, for example, imagine the brain, the, the cell of the brain, the neuron, how the mitochondria of the neuron needs that nutrients to make the, 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 the brain function well. If your brain, if your cells are deprived of those uh, micronutrients, how can, uh, how can the cell of the brain function? And you're talking about... Uh, uh, getting the basic, uh, basic, uh, what do you call the supplements that you need to take. It's always the antioxidants, the uh, vitamin C, B complex, vitamin D, and uh, omega three fish oil. I think should be a standard uh, supplement that you should, you, we should recommend to patients. Especially and on that note, we're going to take a break from uh, Doctor Doctor just for uh, a word from uh, somebody else whoever they have talking when we're not on, but we'll be back with more Dr. Doctor in just a minute. Abortion. Pornography. Embryonic stem cell research. Corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not, and their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. And we're back with Dr. Doctor talking to Dr. Raul Inad today about functional medicine. Now, Raul, Raul right before we went off, um, you had mentioned a few supplements that you would recommend many people taking, many, many people probably need them. Are all over-the-counter products safe and are they all equally effective? So I categorically say no, because that really depends on the quality of who's preparing it. In fact, there's a, a class action uh, 
uh, lawsuit about these supplements because they've found out that thus supplements that are over the counter have a lot of impurities. And I will probably just stop at that. Um, you have to be careful on where you're buying it, who's recommending it. That's why you cannot just go online uh, just buying it. For example, a good uh, example would be the fish oil. Fish oil recommendation is uh, 1,000 milligrams of EPA and DPA. It stands for eicosapentaenoic acid and eicosapentaenoic acid. That's the beneficial oil. Well, of the 1,000 usually that's marketed over the counter, a lot of times it's only 325 of those are the pure DPA and EPA. Well, imagine the difference. 600 of those are impure oils. So those oils can transmit into four or nine calories per gram. Make an addition, make a, some uh, your math, and that can add up into your calories and make you, make you uh, gain weight and not much of the EPA and DPA. That's just one example. Would, would you recommend, I, I guess, is there a place that people could trust to look for good quality supplements as opposed to kind of knockoffs or inferior products? Sure. One would be uh, uh, some reputable, uh, reputable uh, uh, pharma, uh, which can be uh, available through recommendation of, of some reputable doctors as well. So uh, uh, there, are, there are a number of uh, these uh, pharma supplements uh, the, who may, that makes uh, supplements. Um, and you, can you give some anybody. examples? Otherwise, I think our, our listeners are going to wonder. We're, we're not promoting any particular brands, but yeah. how can they find out what those brands are? Is there a website where they can find out? Sure. Well, one of the things we, we talked about a little bit in the beginning of the show was the whole FDA regulated or not regulated aspect. So yeah. just some guidance where people, I know a lot of people feel lost in this. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the uh, uh, websites in the academy are not doing this, but personally, I would just like Metagenics uh, is, uh, is very, uh, those kind of uh, uh, reputable pharma. Uh, it, it's metagenics or metagenics? How do you spell that? Meta, metagenics, like M-E-T-A-G-E-N-E. I-C-S. N-I-C-S, yeah. Those kind. And usually they, they, uh, they, they uh, display in these big conferences that are also reputable, like the A4M, or uh, they, they have those in their booths there. Very good. So let's get... Now to where the faith intersects with, with medicine. Mm -hmm. What are the ethical aspects of practitioners who ask their patients to trust in unproven treatments? You know, Andrew and I have met many people uh, who seem to trust medicine that isn't proven while ignoring medicine that has proof behind it. And I don't understand what's going on there. Maybe you have a better understanding, Raul. Yeah, because I think there's it's a, it's a lot of... Uh, uh, um, I see these patients who almost like uh, lost the, the trust in mainstream yes. medicine. And when they see those, uh, it's because of probably just lack of engagement in these patients. And a lot of them is this dismissive care uh, approach of this uh, mainstream medicine that's like, uh, oh, you just got it from uh, the website and this and this and that. When in fact, uh, one would be to listen to them. Where are they getting this? And uh, one good advice for the for the physicians would be to look into or if there's any uh, validity to the claim of the patient so that goes to the fact that uh, yes there are a lot of uh, uh, offers there from what you call alternative uh, practitioners to make money and that's very unethical especially those that are not proven to be to be uh, effective for example high dose vitamins um, there are some studies, but it's not really a substitute. For example, uh, when you say, oh, I have a cancer and I want to go alternative and just do vitamins. Well, that's not really a, a wise idea because vitamins, for example, high dose vitamins, especially vitamin C, that's way back uh, in the 1950s that's been proven that it has a role in improving the outcome of the chemotherapy, for example, and also the functional well-being of patients. But you have to be responsible about monitoring the patient and who's the complications that you're giving, because those are, uh, although they're vitamins, but high doses that can have potential side effects to this to these patients. 
So yes, there is uh, some caution about that. And that's the most important thing about knowing who these practitioners are. Are they ethical? And it's, you know they're not ethical. They're based on just uh, monetary rewards and, and that patient. Some of the things that I know have led to concern in the past are Eastern medical practices that have spiritual components as well. Yeah. Do, you, do you see that being a big risk in functional medicine? Absolutely, uh, especially if I, and that's exactly what got me into this functional medicine because in my first uh, seminars or uh, con- conferences that I attended, it really, uh, I was taken aback by the, the, the pillars of functional medicine, exercise, sleep, supplements, uh, hormonal balance, and then last was meditation. So I said, what meditation are you talking about? So I dug into, I talked about them, and they're really talking about Eastern medicine. Find that still, whatever kind of meditation you practice, it still has the same neurophysiologic effect and neurotransmitter effect. However, it can potentially destroy the soul. For example, a lot of these Eastern medica- uh, meditation talks about emptying the mind. Well, if you're emptying the mind, who will fill the mind? It could be Jesus. It could be somebody else. Well, that's a risk. And that's the reason why I quote uh, uh, one of the articles of uh, at the Catholic News Agency about uh, an article about uh, Father Gallego, an exorcist in, in Rome, who said that... Uh, Reiki and yoga meditation, some yoga meditation can be portals of entry for, for, uh, for uh, possession of the devil. Because itself is not centered on Christ. Well, if you want to have a good life and good mind, if your mind is, is to be imbued with something, it has to be Christ. So when you're doing meditation, you're doing the guided breathing in and out, breathing in and out to massage your vagus nerve. However, your mind, your focus of, my, of mindfulness should be on Christ. That's why prayer becomes meditation and meditation becomes contemplation. And it's not, a, uh, it's not really a new, um, a new wave. It's in the catechism. It's well-defined. We have to meditate. And uh, St. Teresa of Avila and St. Teresa of uh, uh, St. Alfonso Ligori talks about this. But if you, don't, if you just keep on praying, you don't really progress. And the law of nature is to progress. You don't grow. And uh, St. Teresa of Avila, actually, the Spanish woman, will say, if you don't meditate, you're not, you don't need to bring Satan there. You're pushing yourself to hell. So saints, great saints, have talked about this. St. Saint, uh, Anthony of Padua, St. Jose Maria Escriva, they always talk about putting your mind, your first thought when you wake up, to Jesus through the day, and the last thought to Jesus. And if you're doing this 30-minute exercise of meditation and just focus, especially the passion of Jesus, you will grow in spirit and also in your physiological aspect to make yourself well. That's excellent information because there are a lot of people these days who really like yoga. And would you say that the physical aspects of yoga are safe to embrace, but not the spiritual aspects of yoga? That is correct. Uh, I, I'm with you on that time because, I, okay. uh, because uh, I'm not a yoga practitioner, but what from I read, it's the yoga meditation is not really centered on Christ. It's more of a self. And self is pride. Pride is a friend of the devil. We're taught in Christianity and Catholicism that we are supposed to be humble, humble in front of God, and God alone can help us. So that makes a big difference. So um, a good Christian or Catholic uh, functional medicine practitioner would be a good, good one to deal with. You know, Raul, in, in your role as an integrative medicine physician, how do you decide when a non-prescription supplement or medication um, is better than a prescription? And how, how should patients try and decide that? Or if they can do something other than surgery first, that type of thing. Yeah. But that's really difficult to, uh, to, to navigate because uh, a lot of times patients already have made their decision way before you go there. And a lot of times I become the uh, uh, reinforcer on, uh, see, we, we, we can look together at PubMed and look into the studies regarding this. And a lot of times these alternative medicines that they're talking about, or even alternative diagnostic parameters, for example, I have this uh, patient who came in because somebody told her 
that because of the scanning of the body, uh, you're supposed to treat a type of infection, let alone very specific, a fungal infection. Well, I went back to the traditional med uh, medicine was saying, well, let's get antibodies of the fungus. Well, there was nothing. Well, there's a vested interest in using that gadget to make money because there's some uh, monetary compensation for that. So I think as a physician, you have to do, uh, do our due diligence to help our patients and navigate through this. I'll be surprised, I would not be surprised next day when a patient will come in, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? And I would just humbly say, no, I don't. I have not come across this and I will look into it. And I think that's the best approach and be open about what it is. Raul, what do you think um, functional and integrative medicine do better than traditional medicine? Are there certain niches for it or should it imbue everything that a physician does for a patient? So it should be, it should, it should harmonize with other medicine, uh, the mainstream medicine, and it should, uh, uh, it should be adapted quite well because uh, the uh, functional medicine a lot, has a lot to offer, which the traditional mainstream medicine has not really, has really failed because um, number one, for example, meditation, who would talk about meditation? We would talk about autonomic nervous system or heart rate variability. A lot, even a lot of cardiologists don't even know about heart rate variability. And yet, these things are in the medical literature, aren't they? There is evidence oh, for them. Flooded. Every time I go search for PubMed, there's new uh, there's new articles about all these things. Uh, the the uh, the research, especially about uh, performance, uh, heart rate variability, that's way well studied in many good uh, laboratories. We have athletes, elite athletes. They're looking for a way to improve uh, uh, basing on the, uh, the premise of anti-aging and improving the, the mitochondria function. Uh, so the, it's out there and we just have to be uh, more diligent in looking for it. Do, do you feel like this is something that is in itself really a separate stream of medicine or are we just all kind of trained in the old model and, and this is what we're looking at medicine in the future. This is just cutting edge and in, in 10 or 15 years, it'll be mainstream. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm hoping it will be mainstream because what it is right now, you and me were trained to be in the, uh, in this diagnosing diseases, treating the disease right there. And it's really influenced by uh, how you be using the, uh, the laboratories and the, uh, the pharma pharmacologic, uh, uh, treatment out there that's being sold and pushed to us. But we should go back and see, what about my autonomic nervous system? What about my nutrition? Can it be done? Uh, there, there's so many anecdotal studies, for example, that I was reading, actually, it was in Spark, saying that there's a guy who had sarcoidosis and uh, you can, it's, a, it's, a, it's an autoimmune disease. But the only thing he did was to exercise. And there's a lot of things out there to be said because exercise improves immunity. And it goes back again to the, the cellular level of explaining disease, acute disease process and chronic disease process. It's all influenced by hormones, nutrition, autonomic nervous system, and uh, it's, uh, it needs to harmonize and not just diagnose and then treat. So in other words, you're, you're looking at not just the negative aspect of medicine, but the positive. The negative is, oh, we have a problem, let's fix it. The positive is, how can I get as healthy as possible? Exactly. Uh, and we need to have the ability to, to, to look at health from both. And I think that fits, Andrew, doesn't it? You're in family medicine with you know this um, preventive medicine push. It seems like this would be a natural outgrowth of it, wouldn't it, Andrew? You know, you'd like to think so, and I, I know I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of what many, many of our listeners are thinking, like, where can I find a doctor like this, right? Um, I, I would love to see more of that, and definitely, I think many traditional physicians would agree on healthy lifestyle habits, but maybe don't appreciate the importance of it, you know? If, if I'm a person listening at home, maybe I'm a physician at home, and I'm interested in learning more about this how, how would how would one go about that? Do you need to go and sign up for for classes, or how how do you learn about being more up to date on functional medicine? Sure, uh, you go with the pillar, the five pillars of that. I think is number one diet. Diet. What kind of diet? Uh, we talk about inflammatory medicine. We talk about our, our diets. We talk what kind of exercise, what supplements. 
uh, that's another thing that you can just for personal consumption, you can just uh, get some uh, courses for those. Or you can go to my route where I, where I wanted to do a certification or become a fellow. And I went through the American Academy of uh, Anti-Aging Medicine. It's expensive. Uh, I went through this for at least three years. Uh, each module is about good money. And, uh, but it was worth doing it because it was tax deductible as an educator. <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, I, w I feel good when I go to these conferences because I have something to bring home for myself and for my family and my friends. And I'm, I get more confident about uh, giving advice. to. So you said five pillars. I've got diet, exercise, supplements, meditation. What am I missing? Sleep. Um, because sleep is very important. We hammer that. Um, did I say a hormone hormone balance? So what are the, the now I've got six pillars. So is it diet, <laughs> exercise, supplements, meditation, and hormones, or is sleep one of them? Well, sleep goes with um, sleep goes with the what do you call this? The uh, it's it's part of this one of those pillars. Okay. Yeah. And uh, is there any? place online where patients can find reliable information on these topics? So it's, that's hard to recommend because it's all over the place and you Google functional medicine. So, so I can say not because, but if you go to A4M, for example, these, uh, uh, these organizations that are, uh, that have been there for 20 or 30 years, then they can give you who these physicians are trained to, or the fellows or, or certified physicians who've been trained to this do uh, functional medicine. So what is A4M? Oh, so it's American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. Very good. I think that might be one of the things that has been a bit of a stumbling block for functional medicine is just, you know, in mainstream medicine, we're always looking for the big board certification or the traditional educational roots. And it yeah. sounds like those things have kind of more recently been developed in functional medicine. Yes, and it can be very expensive too. Uh, any education, I guess any type of education is expensive. But the good thing is my certification for functional medicine, which by the way, just passed about three weeks ago. Good uh, job, congratulations. I yes. once. <laughs> Yay. There's no recertification, so that's good. All I need to do is reading an article every day. <laughs> so Raul, uh, to wrap this up, what would be the last message you would like listeners to know about integrative and functional medicine? So I would say in lay language, functional medicine is not a foo-foo science. There's a science backed. This is backed by science. And in fact, many of these practitioners really know what's, the, what's, the, what's, what's new in the field of diet, exercise, and all those, uh, or meditation. It's in uh, PubMed, I can say that. And when you attend to these lectures, it's Really, you will be impressed with the with the uh, with the with the uh, impressive uh, research that they they put into. Number two would be um, functional medicine, uh, science, and and faith cannot be separated. It has to be. It is imperative that we fast, that we meditate, and that's. Uh, uh, a, a, a new uh, advertisement for my book. Sometime that's still in the making. Fasting, medicine, healing, mind, body, and soul. Because it is important. We have to fast. We have to meditate. We have to, uh, we have to um, exercise. Uh, without those, really, we cannot, we cannot go on. We will just wither. And the most important thing is to, uh, to find a, a, a good uh, a practitioner who has been trained and who has the same ethical value that you value. Yes. Yes. Raul, Inad internal medicine, functional medicine, integrative medicine. Thank you. God bless you for being with us on Dr. Doc. Well, thank you very much, guys. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to a very well-chosen medical trivia question, Tom. I like this one. Yeah, it's what supplement is low in the bodies of 2 billion people in the world? And did you know the answer to this, Andrew? I guessed it. I did. But I'm not sure many of our listeners would have guessed iron as it's the iron. low yes. mineral. Yeah. And there, there's so many people with iron deficiency anemia or low blood count because they don't have enough iron 
to make the hemoglobin that hooks onto the oxygen that our cells need to make energy, et cetera, et cetera. It continues to maternal uh, death, uh, poor pregnancy outcomes, cardiovascular disease uh, worldwide. Uh, so this is one of the key public health initiatives of the World Health Organization, something that they are doing that is the, the right thing to do. And, you know, in many places in the world, low iron count is aggravated by infections with worms. Yeah, that's a real and a common thing uh, by malaria and other infectious diseases. And, you know, Tom, I got to tell you, even the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends checking kids in developed countries. And here in America, I see a lot of kids with low iron. It you is know. not just outside the U.S. It's also in our backyard and very common. So, you know, to, to recap, Raul, I thought he did a great job of demonstrating that any functional, integrative, alternative medicine has to be consistent with the faith and based on evidence. I love the fact that how he brought that in. Yes, it's it's so nice to to have someone to turn to that we can trust because there are so many of these areas that could have a spiritual component. We talked about yoga and other things, but he, he brought up very well that all of the physiologic principles that do make people healthier can be incorporated into the Catholic faith. You just have to leave the potentially dangerous spirituality at the door. And thank you, listeners, for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. It's brought to you from the virtual studios of Redeemer Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the good news of our show with a friend, invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app, and be sure to rate and review our show to help new listeners find us. And be sure to send us questions or tell us how something you heard on Dr. Doctor changed your life, maybe your experiences with functional medicine. And most of all, be sure to tune in next week with your appointment for Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word doctor to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit redeemerradio.com slash doctor.